college football playoff is nearing a contract extension that would continue to keep its television rights with ESPN, and the deal is worth some big, big bucks. Meanwhile, the NCAA is clinging to a fairy tale idea of amateurism <laughs> while under fire from Tennessee in an ongoing lawsuit. We'll get into all that and more today on SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside John Adams. But before we head to the courtroom and uh, examine a television deal, wouldn't be an off-season edition of the podcast without a quarterback ranking, without uh, John and I engaging in a draft. And we drafted our top eight SEC coaches a couple weeks ago in snake draft format, and we are on to quarterbacks today. John, you and I have had our quarterback rankings list out. We talked about that last week, but uh, I'm curious how you're going to, you don't have to give away your full strategy here, but you got an idea of how you're going to approach this quarterback draft as we try to build our, we each try to build our best four man quarterback depth chart. Well, here's the thing. Uh, how I rank the quarterbacks and what I do in my column is different than if I'm actually planning on having to rely on these guys. <laughs> so even though I might rank somebody higher, I might say, I just don't trust that guy on third and six with the game on the line. Might draft somebody else. So it might well, be a I, little different. I've put our names into a random simulator and do, 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 do. there's the there's the computer at work, and oh, lo and behold, I've received the number one pick in our quarterback draft. It's funny how that that works. Yeah. But that means you get the the next two picks, John. And uh, I don't think you'll be surprised by my, my number one overall pick. He was also the number one quarterback in my uh, preseason SEC rankings, and that is Mr. Lamborghini himself, Carson Beck at Georgia. Uh, he's the sports car of SEC quarterbacks, I think. It's interesting I say that, though, because I don't really consider Carson Beck to be Mr. Flashy. I, I think he's he's Mr. Reliable. Uh, you, you talk about who you want completing a pass on third and six. Carson Beck's the, the first quarterback who comes to mind, and I think he's going to be better next year than he was this year. Uh, this past season, anyway. You know, I thought he was really good this past season. Wasn't at his best in the SEC championship game, uh, the loss to Alabama, but for the most part, pretty good in, in his first season as a starter. Um, you know, Georgia has reassembled with some new weapons around him, had to lean on the transfer portal a little bit more than usual to restock the skill position talent, but I think he's going to have plenty of it. Uh, so, yeah, Beck would be my first quarterback off the board in my draft. And I'm, I'm curious, I stole the first pick from you, but uh, before we get to your, your first two picks, would you have gone with Beck as your number one overall? Uh, yes, I would. Um, there are other quarterbacks in the league who might be more uh, athletic, who are more athletic, but he's athletic enough. He's not a statue back there. You saw him, you mentioned his SEC championship game when it wasn't his best day but he did make some plays with his legs, and I think that was significant. In fact, he reminded me the way he did that of C.J. Stroud at Ohio State, uh, a guy who often didn't run the ball that much, and we thought of as a pure pocket passer, but when his team needs it, he can do it. Uh, I, the thing I like so much about Carson Beck, two things really stick out. I mean, his arm is fine. He's got a really good arm, 
and he's very precise. He's so accurate, and that just matters. That that matters so much in the NFL. Your window of opportunity is smaller there for a quarterback. You're playing against elite uh, elite cornerbacks. You're throwing into tight coverage, really really solid schemes. So you got to be precise, and he's that. Uh, also, I like that you mentioned you think he'll be better this year too. I'm on on board with that as well. I thought he got better. The quarterback I saw to start the season, he was solid. I was fine with that. But as I watched him, then by the end of the season, I thought of his, of him as elite. Uh, he just kept getting better. And in fairness to him on that on the SEC uh, loss to Alabama, Brock Bowers, his premier tight end, was not at full stri- uh, speed, and neither was his top receiver, Lad McConkey. Both struggled with injuries all year, and his his strengths. One of his strengths is he can get the ball to the right people when you need to get it to them, and I think that hurt him. So yeah, I'm on board with that pick. Uh, next two picks for me, I'll go with uh, Nico Yamaleava. Uh, Your man. From Tennessee. I, I just think he's so talented. It, it's uh, I can't ignore that. His lack of experience. I always will take talent over experience. And I think in so many I, – I can say, think of a lot of examples, not just in this league even, where – where guys in their first time as a starter, as a redshirt freshman, which he will be, or, or even as a freshman, excel. Johnny Manziel won a Heisman Trophy uh, in his first season as a starter. So did Tim Tebow of Florida. Tebow played more as a true freshman. Manziel, uh, and Tim wasn't, re- I say second season, he wasn't redshirted, of course, but in a second season and first as a starter, and Manziel had never played. He was a redshirt freshman when he won the Heisman. So I think there's just tremendous potential there. And a lot of times when you look at a quarterback, it's matching a quarterback with a system. And I think we see that with the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl. It's coming up, becoming an annual event. But I think Nico's skills match up perfectly with Josh Heupel's offense. Ability to throw on the run, uh, improvise, run the ball, all those things, and a strong enough arm to stretch the field. So he's my number number one pick. Uh, my my second pick is uh, I'm not as sure of because uh, Jalen Milrow of Alabama will be a different system. Now, Kalen DeBoer, I would think he's such an accomplished coach. He can certainly shape his offense to a quarterback skills. We talked about Carson Beck's performance. Thought Milrow improved quite a bit as the season went along. Alabama's game plan helped with that. But he's another guy. If the play breaks down, he can still make a play, and he's so dangerous in the open field. He's just so hard to tackle. My my immediate response to your two bi- two picks, John. Number one, I like him. You know, we we differed when we talked about our overall quarterback rankings last week. You had Nico number two in the SEC going into the season. Uh, I had him down at number five, 
Um, and, and really, it was more of a difference in philosophy and how we, we ranked. Uh, I think you were looking more so at Nico's potential, whereas I was a little hesitant because he doesn't have you know, as much on film, as much on paper as some of these other guys. However, you know, for drafting a depth chart, I, I, w- I would have snapped up Nico quicker than where I had him in my power ranking. So uh, that makes sense. But you know, what jumps out to me about your picks is you're not really risk averse here in, in these picks. You're going with the red shirt freshman Nico with one career start. And then you're going with Milrow who, you know, when all was said and done last year had a great season, but as you said, he's now adjusting to new coach, new system, been a lot of transfers there. So you are really buying into uh, talent and ability and say the heck with, you know, the question marks and, and the unproven, uh, nature, you know, facing these, these guys, I guess. Well, remember, uh, like going back to the, when they announced the field, the controversial field for the last playoff, the 14 field, and, uh, they're discussing that and their reasoning and, and the subject came up, which, which team would you not want to play? I mean, it seemed kind of odd, but I kind of think about that is with quarterbacks if i'm if i'm preparing a defense which guy scares me more and i think part of that has to do with it when i saw say Lea ava i think of and and jalen milrow guys when you might do things right defensively and they still succeed you can have everything all set and all planned but these guys they have improvisational skills that can trump well-laid plans of any coach. So, All right. Well, on, on to my next two picks. I would have taken one of your two guys with one of my two picks here. Uh, I don't know if I would have went Nico or, or Milrow for one of them, but I don't have to worry about it because neither are available. But the other guy I would have taken, so I'm glad he's still here because I'm going to take him, is Texas's Quinn Ewers. I, I like the combination of Carson Beck and Quinn Ewers uh, atop my my depth chart as I'm building a, a, a four-man depth chart here. We both are. Um, I really I really liked Ewers' growth last season. I thought he was pretty good when he was healthy a couple years ago, but significantly better last year. Uh, we talked about this last week, uh, how much of an impression he made on me in, in that road victory. Uh, against Alabama in week two, but really, I mean, he was so good throughout most of the season, the big 12 championship game, uh, the route over Oklahoma state to make sure Texas got in the playoffs. He threw four touchdowns in that game. Wasn't at his best against Washington. That was maybe the, uh, the blemish on his resume last year, an important blemish, the college football playoff semifinal game, but really, you know, that game aside, he was pretty darn good wire to wire. Uh, last year and as a as a third year guy next year with a lot of an experience as a two-year starter uh, yeah I'd feel pretty pretty confident uh, about him as my number two on the depth chart I'll, I'll give my number three here in a second but first uh, your thoughts on my pick of yours as my number two quarterback well he had a really good year I, I like not just the way he played against Alabama last year, but the way he played before before he was injured. 
uh, I think he threw for over 100 yards in that first quarter against Alabama. Texas eventually lost the game. You were at that game too, as I recall. And I just think he's he's got a he's got a lot of skills. Uh, the Washington game really bothered me when I when you, when we talk about who do I trust on third and six. Those, I thought that game was there for Texas to take in, in that final possession. And uh, those throwing the ball, he I didn't think in the one-on-one ma- uh, matchups, I know it's a tough throw in the end zone, but he's got really good receivers. He didn't give his receivers a chance, I didn't think, to make a great play in that situation. And that bothered me a little bit. I'm being really picky with him because I know how good he is. And I don't think there's any doubt he's a first-round draft pick. I also love the the system with Steve Sarkeesian. He's so good with quarterbacks, and he will bring out the best in yours and whoever his quarterback is. So, yeah, there's there's certainly I, – I can't argue with that pick at all. Yeah, and, and they've uh, they've reloaded with some weapons around him too. They're, some of their biggest losses was wide receivers – uh, losing Xavier Worthy and, and A.D. Mitchell moving on to the NFL. But, uh, you know, Texas was active in addressing that in the transfer portal. Got a few guys, including Isaiah Bond, uh, the Iron Bowl hero from Alabama, transferred in after Nick Saban's retirement. And, um, you know, as a quick aside before I move on to my next pick, John, I, I think when we look at coaches who, quote unquote, won the offseason, um, I, I did a column about this recently. I think Kirby Smart won the offseason by signing another number one ranked recruiting class, uh, added a few nice transfers too. But I would have Steve Sarkeesian not too far behind him. Uh, Texas is one of three programs who signed a top 10 recruiting class and a top 10 transfer class. Texas joined Oregon and Ohio State with that distinction of being in top 10 in recruiting and top 10 in transfers. Um, I, I really think Sark burned it pretty well at, at both ends. Not only that, but it was a win in getting Ewers to come back for another season when he could have gone on to the NFL um, after redshirting initially at Ohio State and then two years at Texas. He, he could have headed to the NFL. Instead, he comes back. Uh, as a year three starter at Texas. So I've said it before. I continue to believe Texas is well positioned to transition to the SEC. And part of that reason is Quinn Ewers. All right, on to my next pick, John. Uh, I feel like I got two pretty reliable guys atop my depth chart and Carson Beck and Quinn Ewers. So I'm going to take a little bit more of a gamble here. And I'm taking uh, Garrett Nussmeyer of LSU. Fourth year guy. Been a backup the past couple years uh, under Jaden Daniels. We've seen him uh, get some spot playing time here and there, mostly in bowl games the past couple years. Started in the bowl win against Wisconsin last month. Really like his arm. Um, you know, he's not a certainly not a run first guy, but he, he's got some mobility to him. He is a bit of a wild card. Uh, there, there's probably some more proven guys out there, but I like the proven guys atop my depth chart. Um, I'm curious as to what Nussmeyer's, Nussmeyer's ceiling might be. And again, I, I, I like his arm strength. So I'm going to take a chance uh, with Nussmeyer as my QB three. I thought you would take him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know I've liked him for a while now. Well, I like him too. In fact, uh, I stupidly speculated after the Florida State-LSU game in the season opener 
maybe LSU started the wrong guy because I've seen Nussmeyer throw the ball. And then by midseason, I was singing, Heisman, Heisman competition is <laughs> over with. Jaden Daniels has won it. Give him the award and let's move on to the next Heisman. So, uh, but I, I do like him. I, I don't like him as, as much as I once did. I I don't know why. But I don't know what I expect from him. I guess when I've seen him, I expect so much, even if he comes in cold off the bench, I don't expect him to throw an incompletion because high expectations. So there's certainly nothing wrong with that pick. Uh, I don't have any problem with that. All right, so I got one pick left. I'll, I'll have the final pick. You got two more here, John, to supplement your depth chart headline by Nico and uh, Jalen Milrow. Okay, I'm going off script now when I Ooh, go by my wait. rankings. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take Missouri's Brady Cook. Uh, I really, when I was ranking quarterbacks, I had a real hard time ranking him sixth. I really did because there's nothing I don't like about him. He's uh, he, he throws the ball well. He doesn't have as big of an arm, I don't think, as these other guys we've we've listed. But he's very accurate. He's very mobile. And I think he's got some intangibles that a team would value. I mean, his durability and toughness have come to the forefront more than more than once since I've been following him. And he's got a chip on his shoulder. He's got that kind of Tom Brady chip on his shoulder. Uh, I really like that. And I think we talk about who's going to make the third and six. I, I I trust him to make the third and six. So, yeah, I would go with him. What, what, do you, what do you think of me taking him over some guys I rated higher? One guy rated higher, really. Yeah, I had a hard time ranking Cook in, in my pecking order, too. It's interesting. We both had him in our overall quarterback rankings for the SEC. We both had him slotted at number six. So there was consistency there. But it it felt wrong to have him that low based uh-huh. on this the, the season that he had. But I think one thing that you mentioned um, – he he got better this past year at, at throwing downfield, um, but he's maybe not as much of a true deep ball artist uh, as as a couple of these other guys, like Jalen Milrow, who you selected last round, throws a great deep ball. Um, however, the key word with him to me, I think, is intangibles. You're right. I mean, this is a guy, um, you know, who who's more veteran than than the first two quarterbacks you picked. So I like that. Uh, he's kind of been through the ringer. There was a time where. I mean, heck, Missouri fans were even against him, right? They they wanted him out of there. They wanted him replaced. He uh, he's, he stood up in the face of all that. He's uh, he's beaten back a couple of, of transfer quarterbacks over the past few years and gotten better along the way. I like his running ability. Yeah, I think at this point in the draft, uh, I do kind of like that pick. If he would have still been available, I didn't think he would be. I thought you might take him. If he would have still been available, I was going to take him with my final pick. Well... And here's the thing, too. I, this season, the 24th season, the SEC, and part of that is due to expansion, granted. But the SEC is so loaded with quarterbacks. I can't remember being able to go so far down the list of quarterbacks in this conference and say, I wouldn't mind having him as my quarterback. I'll take him right now. 
I think there are seasons where Brady Cook would be a contender for the All-SEC quarterback in, in past seasons where there just wasn't this glut of quarterbacks. Uh, so, yeah, there's you know, – and, and you brought this up, and I think it's significant. I remember because he played – I guess he played as a freshman, didn't he? Or was he a redshirt freshman when he started playing? Uh, Do you remember he- he played in, in 2021 as uh, I believe that was as a redshirt freshman. He didn't That's play what's... much in 2020. He took a few snaps, but really he came on the scene in 21, which I believe would have been his redshirt freshman year. And see, I remember watching him and thinking, I mean, at that time he'd look like, okay, maybe he needs to be the future of Missouri football. And I'm thinking, I, I just don't know if this guy's a, really an SEC quarterback. And uh, I do like it when guys prove me wrong. And he did. Uh, and and then t- who was the quarterback that Missouri drafted? And was it – I forgot his name. He was uh, – it was his uh, – he was highly right. He was a four oh, Sam, Sam Horn, the Sam uh, baseball, Horn, yeah, yeah. baseball player as well. Yeah, yeah I was like – one guy after another, they brought in whether it be Sam Horn, who they signed, uh-huh. or they signed, or they brought in a couple of veteran transfers too, right. and none of them could unseat Brady Cook. Time and again, he he continued to to retain the job. But what I liked about him was, you know, it wasn't just like he he retained the job because there was no one better. Like, I mean, he actually got better this season. I mean, he was yeah. undeniably better in twenty twenty three than he was in twenty twenty two, and and now coming back for a big fifth season. And I'm curious where you're going to go next, John, because I I really have no idea. I kind of thought where you might go in the first couple rounds, your Brady cook pick didn't surprise me. Um, I feel like there's still a big name out there, but I I don't know if you're going to go for it. Where are you going with your last pick? Well, I'm going to probably fake you out and and this will work because you would, you would draft this guy next. I'm going to take uh, Jackson Arnold of Oklahoma, even though he threw three, three interceptions in the bowl game. Right. He also passed for 361 yards and yeah, I've always been kind of a numbers guy yet. When I really come to evaluations, it's the eye test that gets me that, that always sways me. When I, when I saw Arnold make some throws, he's got that really smooth release. The ball kind of jumps out of his hands. That's always something I look for with quarterbacks. He runs well enough. Another one of these guys who can run when necessary. Uh, but he's re- I just really like him as a passer. And that Oklahoma system, Oklahoma always seems to have receivers, and they always have a pretty good offense. Uh, so I, I think I would take him next. And I don't think you would have made that pick. It kind of fits with your theme of guys long on potential. And, you know, I think my depth chart so far is shaping up, certainly with Beck and yours, is having some proven guys. You maybe have the guys that could be some of the best quarterbacks in the conference, such as Nico, Jackson Arnold, Jalen Milrow. Milrow's got a season as a starter, but still with the new system, I feel like your depth chart is less proven, but but perhaps longer on potential than, than mine is at this point. Well, I've always got uh, Brady Cook I can fall back on. That's if, right. If these guys don't play up to expectations. So. Not a bad plan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I guess my last one, um, 
the guy that just kind of lurking out there. I almost feel like I have to take him at this point. Sure. He's forcing me to, but I don't know who else I would take. Uh, I'm going to go with Jackson Dart of Ole Miss with, with my final selection. Um, you talked about the numbers. Dart's been a pretty good stat stuffer the last couple of years. I liked how he cut down on his interceptions last year in year two in Lane Kiffin's system. My lingering question with Jackson Dart and probably why I didn't consider taking him sooner is um, it hasn't really proven to be a big game quarterback up to this point in his career. Uh, you know, he struggled last year against Georgia. Ole Miss got blown out. He struggled against Alabama last year, a game that otherwise I thought, you know, Ole Miss had an opportunity to win. He's not been at his best in those big moments and many, many other games. He's been very good. And I think one of the reasons why I want to take him at this juncture is uh, I got some guys that can move a little bit, but uh, I don't have anybody that I can stick back there in the shotgun on third and two and say, go get me four yards on the quarterback power. I mean, Jackson Dart, one thing I can't question is the guy's toughness. You know, I mean, he can he can run it and, and not run it like Jaden Daniels where he's taking off like a track sprinter. He's lowering the shoulder like Tebow and uh, moving the chains on on third and short. So, uh, yeah, for a little bit of variety and and also as a stat stuffer, I can't overlook him as my final pick. Yeah, I like his arm too, and I, I guess my questions about him may be outdated, but they still linger. I go back to the 2022 season, his first season as a starter there at Ole Miss. And I just thought he forced too much stuff. I, I talk about trusting my quarterback. I didn't trust him. And and maybe that falls in, in line with your assessment of big games. Yeah, because um, he had an interception against Alabama. He had an interception against Georgia. Um, and he's just, you know, there's a lot of people that aren't their, aren't at their best against yeah. Georgia. So we're probably picking nits at, at this point, uh, you know, in the draft and, you know, as far as best available quarterback, um, you know, I, I guess the other options at this point, Connor Wigman at Texas A&M coming off injury. You know, Graham Mertz had a nice season last year for Florida, but I wouldn't go with Mertz over over Dart. So, um, yeah, when you get to this point in the draft, I think I, I kind of had to go with best available guy. And to me, Dart was the best available one on the board. Well, he also has some things in his favor that other quarterbacks we've mentioned. He has a great offensive coach in Lane Kiffin. I think he and Kiffin have a really good relationship. You know, Kiffin's previous co quarterback there, uh, Matt Corral, uh, whom we both really liked a lot, uh, has he played fearlessly as this guy does, and I, and I think uh, that's always in a endearing quality because he's got the toughness to go get to go get short yardage when your team has to have it and the game's hanging the balance. I like that about him. And I also think and maybe part of the reason in the past, uh we talk about the Georgia game, the the Alabama game, he throws interceptions. Well, it also could be that the other team was better. And in that situation when you have talent as he as Jackson Dart does there's a tendency well I got to go above and beyond here I got to make a play and sometimes that means taking big risk and he he has to do it I 
I marvel in the Super Bowl at the way Patrick Mahomes plays because he's got all the skills you could ever ask for, yet he can play with restraint. And, and, and that's hard for those super talented guys to do. But he has a lot of talent around him. Jackson Dart now with more talent. Uh, he might put my concerns to rest next year. I mean, I think Ole Miss is contending for championship next year, the national championship. Ooh, oh, that's that's a heady praise. We'll we'll get into that in a, a future podcast episode. I can't can't let that uh, go uh, untouched. So we'll get to get back into that down the road. That's a that's a bold prediction there, John. So uh, before we move on, a recap of our depth charts. I took Carson Beck, Quinn Ewers, Garrett Nussmeyer, and Jackson Dart. John took Nico Iamaliava, Jalen Milrow, Brady Cook, and Jackson Arnold. Who did it better, John? Of course, you think you did? Yeah, I have to side with myself on that. But nothing, no, don't okay. take it personally. No, I won't. Listeners can let us know uh, whose quarterback depth chart they would prefer. Moving along into the business of college football, John, something that you really can't avoid these days as we record this on a Tuesday, uh, the athletic breaking news that ESPN and the college football playoff are in agreement on a six-year, $7.8 billion, that is billion with a B extension, that would make the worldwide leader uh, the continued home of college football's playoff in a deal uh, that would keep the playoff on ESPN's networks through the 2031-32 seasons. Now, uh, this deal does not ensure that the format is going to remain the same. That could evolve. Really what this, this deal does, according to the Athletics Report, is hammers out some of the financials in terms of total dollars and hammers out Who's going to be televising the playoff? It's going to stay on ESPN's networks as it is. Now, John, for you and me, I don't know that we care that much personally uh, what TV station the playoff games uh, are, are going to be on. But this is something that is of interest to fans. Fans really kind of obsess at times of who's going to be broadcasting the games, which networks have a conspiracy against their teams. And what's interesting to me now is that starting next season, the SEC and Disney slash ESPN are entering into an exclusive agreement that so all of the SEC's games will be on the ESPN family, whether that be ESPN, the SEC network or ABC uh, or on on streaming platforms. So the whole regular season for the SEC is going to be on the ESPN's network. And now you have the whole playoff is going to continue to be on ESPN. So to folks out there, Rooting for an SEC team, which we assume you are if you're listening to this podcast, whether you like ESPN or not, whether you like their broadcasters or not, get used to them because no more CBS next year. Uh, whatever thought there was of, of Fox or NBC maybe getting a slice of the playoff pie, that's not happening. ESPN is the home for the playoffs and the home for the SEC's regular season. Your thoughts? Well, I, I think announcers enrage fans. Uh, I mean, fans... They may like some announcers, but they're more at the other end of the spectrum where they hate. There are more announcers they hate than they like. 
That's true, probably. Uh, and that's probably, and that may not be limited to the SEC, but whoever does the most of your games, you 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 find a reason to turn against an announcer. It only has to be one play. That could be all it takes. Uh, but I think the value of ESPN is you've got that, you've got all those different network, different stations. Uh, if games overlap, you can go to ESPN News. That can throw some people off sometimes, but you've got that available as a backup too. Uh, I do think it will enhance Tennessee, uh, SEC, Tennessee, everybody's exposure. You've also got the SEC network in the same family. So this deal kind of makes sense. And even though, even though I follow the SEC, that's why I followed it since I was, you know, first watched a football game. That's been my conference growing up in the South. But uh, I do get tired sometimes when they make it out to be better than it is. And I don't know if that bothers fans. Maybe it does with certain teams. If it's not their team and uh, the announcers are singing the praises of a, a competitor, like, wait a minute, they're not that good. Uh, so, but to me, that's uh that's a small issue. I kind of like Fox's announcers better, I think. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that uh, because the Big Ten, the other conference in the, the so-called Super Two, I mean, their games are going to be rotating through Fox, NBC, and CBS. It's it's like a, an Axis and Allies uh, you know, battle. Maybe that's a bad comparison, but you you got the the the, the battle lines are are drawn here with the SEC. You know, they're going the route of of ABC slash ESPN, and you got the Big Ten going the lines of of Fox, NBC, and CBS. And so, um, you know, the Super Bowl we just had it on CBS this year. I believe last year was on Fox. You know, the Super Bowl rotates through between Fox, NBC, and CBS. Do you think it would be good for college football if the playoff rotated around a little bit among the networks, if the national championship game rotated among the networks, or do you think it really matters that it's always on the ESPN family? Because it is, like I said, it is different from the NFL where the playoff games are, are divvied up, you know, across multiple networks and the Super Bowl rotates a- across the dial. I kind of like having announcers who are familiar with their subject. I, I like the idea of uh, the ESPN announcers, whether you like, whether they're favorite announcers or not, you at least are, are accustomed to them. They're sort of part of the fabric. And you, you, uh, I know because I like watch a lot of PAC 12 games. They're late at night and I watch those games. And I really like Tim Brando as a play by play guy. And we worked together many years ago and, and, not together, but we were in the same market in Baton Rouge. I've known Tim a long time. I think he's really good. I, I liked having the same announcer doing that, same announcers doing that conference because I feel like I feel comfortable. That's part of the conference that they know this. They've done other games on this team. This is not their their first time to say cover Arizona or Cal in a game. Uh, it begins at 10:30 at night Eastern Time. They know they have some history with these teams, and they can call on that in analyzing a game. So, yeah, I, I like seeing the same people do it. Maybe I'm engaging in some deep state theories here, John. But do you think that that the SEC could gain some advantage by the fact that the ESPN is now their exclusive rights partner, 
ESPN, as we know, hosts the weekly college football playoff show. And now ESPN is retaining the rights to the playoffs. I mean, to me, it's not incredibly far-fetched to say that this is a little bit, maybe just on a small level, but a little bit of an advantage for the SEC. I mean, ESPN of any of the networks has an outsized voice on college football, I mean, even more so than the NFL uh, because of, you know, CBS, Fox, and NBC's role on the NFL. ESPN is, is king, I think, when it comes to the college football space. And they're in cahoots, undeniably in cahoots, with the SEC. Now, they've, they've hitched each other's wagon um, you know, to, to themselves. They're, they're linked going forward. I don't know. Do you think it is a, a stretch for me to say that this, at least on some small level, when it comes to playoff access... You know, narrative can be so important in some of this stuff that this could work out in the SEC's favor being so linked to ESPN and ESPN having such a, an important voice in the college football space now and going forward. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think it's a significant advantage because ESPN is kind of the sports station. So all the time you're hearing ESPN broadcasters from every talk show, CSPN. And when they're talking about college football, let's face it, this is entertainment. When CBS is hosting the Super Bowl, when it's showing the Super Bowl as it was Sunday, it's not promoting Fox or NBC shows on its network. It's promoting its product. You got to keep that in mind that this is showbiz. And so to think that ESPN will sit back and be fair and uh, always, I, I don't believe that at all. I think it uh, favors you. And we talked about this off the air, but I, I mean, it's ancient history by now, but it's still one of the most talked about. There's a 30-30 on it is the, uh, the Peyton Manning Heisman run in 97 when Charles Woodson, the quarterback from Michigan, won the award. The ESPN and ABC then were Big Ten, more, much more than the SEC. Right. And, and they really pushed the Big Ten. And I don't see – how could you not? You are promoting your shows. I mean, if you're getting ready to talk about what's on tap, Saturday afternoon when you're doing your game day, aren't you going to lead into the ESPN broadcast? How could you not? I mean, there's somebody up there that's paying out all this money and is saying, well, why are you promoting the CBS game more than, than our guys in our game in that, in that three thirty slot? It's just, it's inevitable. I think it, I think it's an advantage for the SEC. And SEC fans will probably find reason to dispute that. But I think in the end, it could help them. You start talking about a 12-team playoff and all these at-large bids. If you're hearing on a network, the sports network, constantly, why this team, which might be, you know, borderline top 10 team, it's really a good team. And you wouldn't want to play them in the playoff. Mm, no. Yeah, that's it, such, it's no, such a big it, argument now. Who do you not want to play, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that team terrifies me. And I just think that's going to seep in a little bit. 
Yeah, I, I agree, John. I, I, it, Kirk Herbstreet remains the most influential voice, I think, in college football. He's on ESPN's network. Yeah, SEC fans can say he's Ohio State guy, uh, whatever. But it, it's in ESPN's business interest to promote the <laughs> SEC and and vice versa. So I do think, uh, at least to a small degree, that uh, this works in the SEC's favor. Uh, all right, from the television dial, John, to the courtroom, uh, you can't avoid talking about court cases these days when it comes to college sports. Uh, Tennessee had its day in court. Now, not the Vols, the Tennessee Attorney General uh, had his day in, in court this week, but let's face it, these uh, the lawsuit and the ongoing NCAA investigation into Tennessee are undeniably linked. And uh, haven't got a ruling from the judge yet. The The latest is that uh, the states of, of Tennessee and Virginia are suing the NCAA in an antitrust lawsuit that basically says, uh, NCAA, you got your meager NIL guidelines. Well, that's fine. That's cute. But they violate uh, federal antitrust law. And this is a basically a two-pronged approach by these attorney generals. Uh, excuse me, attorneys general. Uh, on the one hand, in the short term, they're trying to get a preliminary injunction, which if granted, which we should learn in the coming days, would freeze the NCAA's NIL laws, basically put them on the shelf. They don't exist for an interim period of time. Uh, part two is the overarching lawsuit. So Tennessee could win the injunction, which they would like, uh, and then ultimately win the lawsuit. Uh, but they really got two bites of the apple because even if they lose the injunction, they could win uh, the lawsuit. The injunction, losing the lawsuit, all those things would be bad for the NCAA. So they they, they got to fend this off one, one body blow at a time. I kind of like your stance on this, John, because you've said consistently, you're not really being caught in the weeds of, uh, well, are they going to get this injunction or not, you're not getting bogged down in the play-by-play -play of this case. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you're sort of looking toward the finish line in this on ongoing legal battle, and uh, am I correct in saying at the finish line, you see the NCAA being losers and not really being able to have much governance over the NIL space? Is that, right? Is that fair to say? Uh, yes, uh, it, it's just... And you are a legal scholar, so you know this better than I. But so this doesn't even really matter to me. I, I don't. Uh, however, if I'm going to talk about you, you look at Tennessee and Virginia, their case that they could be irreparably harmed by allowing this to continue. I think it's harder to prove that. But I put myself in a judge's position and I say, why am I giving? <laughs> why am I giving up some sort of a, maybe a weak approval to something that's illegal? I know how this will play out. So why, why don't we just end this? I think that's how I would look at it as a judge. Let's just end this thing. This isn't going anywhere. It's uh, the NCA is just kind of marching blindly forward and it knows it's headed for a cliff. And, and it's as though it's uh Talk about it's the ultimate avoidance. Uh, well, we won't think about that now. We're going to try and get a get a win here against the injunction, just like just as we did against the temporary restraining order. But I mean, how could a football team do that? 
how could they go out and play hard uh, in the first half or even the third quarter when they're saying, oh, guys, I, you know, you, you need to know we are going to lose the game in the end. But, it's like you know, a it's like an underdog in a basketball game. You're you're leading at the first media timeout or the second media timeout. But you know, when, once it comes back from that commercial break, you're going to get steamrolled from from yeah. there, right? <laughs> it's as though you've hit you've hit five threes, and you know this team is ex- much better team, and that's going to come into play eventually and kick in, and and so. But yeah, I, I just really the NCA bewilders me at times uh i i don't i don't know i just don't know what they think this will prove where does it it's not going to change the outcome it's illegal what you're doing when you say you can the courts have said players can make money and there you're going to sit there and say yeah you can make money but mm, not that much money you've got to uh, you have to decide on a, a college without knowing how much money you can make or even if you can make it. I mean, a school could say, yeah, we really want to work out a big time deal for you. Then you sign and they say, oh, man, <laughs> that all fell through. But you got your scholarship. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And, and for people that haven't been following this blow by blow, that's really what's at stake in this case is the NCAA has got that rule that says NIL deals can't be used as a recruiting inducement. Uh, in effect, you can't really, according to the rules, wink, wink, you can't know what you're going to be getting from a particular school as a recruit or as a transfer. Um, and, and the attorneys general who are bringing a lawsuit in this case are saying, well, that violates antitrust law. How is someone supposed to negotiate a fair deal if they can't discuss what that deal entails, right? It'd be like trying to get take a job uh, and you ask the person interviewing you, uh, how much am I going to be paid? And they say, well, just trust oh. us. We, yeah, we, we, we'll let you know on day one you, when you report for work. You'd be yeah. an idiot to take that job, you'll, right? You'll say, they'll say, you're going to be real happy at that final number. Yeah. Really happy. Yeah, it's almost like they're the NCAA is trying to turn it into a game show. You, you know, here's what's behind door number three. Yeah, there's door number two. I, I mean, it's just absurd, really, when you think about it. But so schools, Tennessee, Virginia, schools are spending money, uh, wasting time. Uh, and some of these athletes involved. Certainly, Nico Yamaleava is involved in this. I mean, what's he to think? I, I, I mean, it, it's just, it's an exercise in futility. And I, I wish the judge would just say, come on, guys. Just stop the fight like a, yeah. like a referee. And a, yeah. You used to yeah. cover those big boxing bouts, right? I'm sure you've yeah. seen some of the refs step in. Some guys get yeah. pummeled and say, I've yeah. seen enough here. Yeah. <laughs> stop unless, unless Don King was involved and it was one of his fighters. And you could see someone almost beaten into a coma. And they, they still, as he bleary-eyed is standing there, can barely stand up, they raise his arm in triumph that he's <laughs> miraculously been awarded the decision. But but no, it's just, uh, it's real folly, but gives us something to talk about and something to write about. So it can't be all bad. Yeah, and uh, Adam Sparks, who's our USA Today colleague at, at Knox News, uh, the newspaper in, in, in Knoxville, the News Sentinel, he's done a great job covering this case. I spoke to him earlier and, and asked for his take. Um, as he ruled it, uh, it could be a coin flip on which side wins the injunction, whether that be Tennessee slash Virginia or 
the NCAA. He says it's about you know a 50-50 split on who's going to win the injunction. Uh, but his interpretation, uh, based on reporting on this, based on talking to folks, is that uh, the NCAA remains a significant underdog to win the overall case. So uh, I'm sure we'll have some developments from here. We continue to await that important injunction ruling that will have ripple effects throughout the NIL space uh, for college athletics. And uh, we'll see if John and I can uh, drum up another draft in the weeks to come as well. Until then, thanks for listening to this edition of SEC Football Unfiltered.